Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, January 9, 2022. Today's sermon will be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to veer off from, from Hebrews today. And um, I'm gonna, I've been wanting to come back to this title. Um, I've preached this before, um, but it was during the time we were shut down and we were doing audio. And I've been working, anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 3. But while you're turning there, um, we're still working through Hebrews. And I'll just be very upfront and honest, um, just as I've been studying the last week or two weeks, particularly on this passage, um, the Word of God is living and active and piercing. Um, we we're pretty familiar with that passage there in, in Hebrews 4. And I am uh, unsure as to the author's main meaning as to one point. Um, and so I, I, I need some more time to, to study and, uh, and look, look at that. And I, I probably studied more on that sermon than I have other sermons, generally speaking. But, uh, so be praying for that. Um, and next week we're going to have Wambua with us as well. So he'll be, he'll be preaching. That'll give me two weeks to get Lord willing. And I've been, I'm going to ask some of you sir, some things coming up. But for now, for this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the title of the sermon is Perilous Times. And it's taken from, I've reworked it, but it's taken from a sermon from, from John Owen. And I'll come back that, to that in a minute. But let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity again this morning to open your word. Father, to sing together, to pray together, to meet together. It is good to be together with God's people. Your mercies are new every morning. And uh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Give us grace to look unto Christ. Pray that you would uh, just work in us greatly through the power of the word preached, through your Holy Spirit that works in us as we look unto Christ and as your mercies um, are found, I pray that you would help us. Jesus would increase, that we would decrease. Father, always, is in spite of me, I pray that you would work. But Father, we believe in the power of the preached word, and these words are very serious today. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last year after the YMCA closed down, we weren't able to meet together for uh, about three months. I, I remember during that particular time period just thinking with COVID coming on and, and everything going on, just uh, as, I, as I often read John Owen, and I was, just, I was looking at some of his sermons to, to see if he had written anything that might be helpful to us during this time of, of, of COVID-19 and everything that's going on with that. And, um, uh, and I found three sermons, really, that were very helpful. But one in particular from 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, verse 1. Here, I'm going to read verse 1. But understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. The King James says perilous times. So they are the same. Times of difficulty and times that are perilous. And so as I started to read this sermon, I thought he would be speaking about some natural disaster that, that was going on in the country or that he would think about some great physical plague that was going on or some calamity that was happening in the world. That's honestly what I was looking for, which shows that I, I totally misunderstood growing up this, this passage here of 2 Timothy 3. There's something more difficult more perilous in this world than a virus. And there's something, and this is something that uh, I think that, that will be helpful to us this morning. Paul's emphasis here to Timothy is not on a plague or a natural disaster, but instead this warning is given in the context of ungodliness. And as we're preaching through Hebrews, I'm seeing more and more the warnings of Hebrews. It's just week after week that's coming. Do not fall back. Do not drift away. Do not slip away. Move away from Christ. And so when we come to this passage here, when we think about the word last days, I used to also think that that was the last, last, last days right before Christ comes back. But we need context. And the New Testament speaks of the last, that term last days, in three different, at least three different ways, okay? The first way is that last time, when Jesus comes back. And so, last days can mean those last days, which are coming sometime in the future. That's one way it's used. Second way, which I think is the most common way in the New Testament, um, the last days are between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. And so in that way, we are in those last days, okay? And so that's two ways it's used. However, there's a third way, and I think, especially in the book of Revelation with the seven churches, we see this word last days refer to um, a particular church um, when that church is about to come to an end. In other words, they, maybe they're going to disband, they're going to disperse, or the Spirit of God will be removed, I will remove my candlestick from you. And so, it could be the last days of a congregation because of perilous times. And so I think that's probably where Owen is going with this particular sermon as he tries to apply that to the church. But I have three character, characteristics this morning, three, of what are perilous times. How do we know when we are in perilous times? Now, his wording is kind of funky, but I will all, if you'll hang with me, I'll always reword it so I think we can understand it, okay? So here's the first characteristic of a perilous time. A season is perilous when the profession of true religion is outwardly maintained under a visible predominancy of lusts and wickedness. In other words, if you didn't get that, a season is perilous when religion 
looks good on the outside, but underneath there is great evil. Look at verses 2 to 5. This is the context, okay? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving that which is good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I I see that as a particular um, issue, uh, certainly in our culture, the love of, of entertainment. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These are people or churches who confess the truth, but at the same time they love unrighteousness in their hearts. I think of all those who profess the name of Christ, but their lives do not show the fruit of Christ. I know there are many folks even in our country, many legislators, many, many judges, many Christian leaders in our country that name the name of Christ and profess Christ, but disregard the dignity of life, for example, by, by murdering the unborn in the womb. There are so many who, pro, who name the name of Christ, but they deny the good order of God's creation by by calling a male a female and by calling a female a male and mixing up what is naturally given to us by God and then still say, I am a, I am a Christian. And I, I could go on and on with lots of things there in our culture. And we wonder, and I think that this, this applies to both churches and individuals, of course, because individuals make up churches. And we wonder how a person who calls himself a Christian can, can do such things. And this is very scary. And it should be scary to us. And it must be a warning to us. But for those who continue in rebellion in this way, God will pull away His gracious hand. And even, the Bible says, send a delusion. Probably know the verse I'm talking about. He will turn such folks over to their own desires and their own passions, which leads to death. Romans 1, particularly. But 2 Thessalonians, I'll come to that Romans 1 in a moment. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 and 11. You can just listen with me. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We see this in Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In verse 24, Romans 1, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts, of their hearts to impurity, to the, dis- to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. This is a somber warning to us. So as regards the church, or say we're, we're thinking about applying that to us, or to any church, this doesn't happen overnight. It happens over, oftentimes, a long, subtle period of time. Think about the church of Ephesus. Many of us have taken trips to Turkey, and we've been there. But the Ephesus in Paul's day, think about that church. Paul sends a young Timothy, probably around the age of 40, young, but a young man there to go where there, many of their elders at their church have turned away. They're still professing Christ. They'll say, I'm a Christian. They would fall into this category here in 2 Timothy 3. And he sends Timothy over there to rebuke them and to set things in order. 1 Timothy 1, 3-7. He says to Timothy, Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, they have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are making confident assertions. This is certainly happen, happening all over the world at some degree or another, and it's certainly happening in our country, and it's certainly happening among the Christian church, those who profess Christ today. And this happens subtly over a period of time as people move away from the gospel of Christ. And this, according to 2 Timothy, is a perilous time. It is not the coronavirus that causes us to be in a perilous time. It is such thinking and such ungodliness. And so at this point, Owen gives two particular applications for us. The first one, and we'll come back to this at the very end as well, but the first application is for us. When we see such things, we should mourn for the public abominations and the public sins in our land. And I must confess, I, I don't do that very often. And I don't know, maybe you're better, much better than I am at thinking of the sins in our country and it just mourning because God is holy and we are not. The psalmist says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. May it not be with us. Even during this time of this coronavirus, I'm, we're all affected by the panic and the fear and we hear of death and sickness from all sides. But even more desperate, worse than these things, we must mourn for the ungodliness of, of what we have around us. That's one application. Another application. We, us, brothers and sisters, we must take care that we do not become infected with the evils of the sins around us. How do we get... A physical virus, we come into contact with someone and we get sick. In the same way, we must not become infected with the sins of the world that are around us. <laughs> Just think, 
particularly the beginning, we think back to the, I'm thinking about our household, <clears throat> but especially night in, in 2000, whenever it's, I can't remember when it all started now, so, but right at the beginning of the coronavirus and everything that happened, everything was shut down, wipe this down, wipe that down, how many times you got to wash your hands? Wash your hands. By the way, I'm not saying don't wash your hands. Please wash your hands. I wash my hands all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. Wash your hands. But we're thinking about wiping everything down, taking a couple showers a day. Don't touch this. Why? So that we don't get infected. Shouldn't we take greater efforts to safeguard godliness in our lives? So that's, that's number one. So... Professing on the outward side, but in the heart, turning away from the gospel. Another characteristic of a perilous time. A season is perilous when men are prone to forsake the truth. So when people forsake that which is true, and at the same time, seducers abound to gather them up. So we have two, two, two parts to this. I'm going to say that again a couple different ways so you can hopefully understand me. One, truth is forsaken. We see the truth, we know it's there, and we forsake it. And then when we do, what happens? Somebody comes alongside of us and they grab us up and they influence us to go the opposite way from that which we know is truth. Um, and there is something too, is it uh, bad company corrupts good character, for sure. And so again, one person leaves the truth, and then there's another person waiting there to help this person. Think of Romans 1 again. Everyone begins to do that way, that way in, a, in a culture or in a society or, or in a church even. And then God turns them over, pulls his hand off, and then further they roll down the hill like a snowball going down the hill. So when seducers abound, you know that there are many who are turning away from the truth. Now, what is a seducer? Again, I think you know we know what this is. Someone comes along and leads you away from that which is true. The picture that Owen gives is Jezebel, that evil lady in the northern kingdom of Israel. And as that particular kingdom with those ten tribes moved away from the living God, who was there? Jezebel. To seduce them and take them even further than they had ever gone. Because, you know, Ahab showed some signs of repentance here and there. But in the end, he was a very evil man. But there she was to take him and Israel away from the truth. And so in this, we see the hand of God in allowing, for sure. And then we see the hand of Satan in Taking away, there we go, Evan reading back to Calvin with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. God is, is good in all that he does. Satan is evil in all that he does, but both work together to work out God's plan very clearly. We see this in, in uh, 1 Timothy 4. Turn over a page or two there. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Peter says the same thing. 
2 Peter 2, 1 and 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So when these things are happening, brothers and sisters, it is a time of difficulty. It is a time of peril. Now you may ask, let's look further into this. You might ask, what does this look like? How do we know when this is happening around us? Well, Owen gives three ways that we can judge in this matter. Here's the first way. Those who profess the gospel of Christ are not able to endure sound doctrine. We get that directly. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. So in other words, you'll know it's a perilous time when people are not able to endure sound teaching of the Bible. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. So when professing Christians become weary of sound doctrine, when it's too plain, too heavy, too dull, too common, it's too high, it's too mysterious, whatever. Whatever displeases them, then there is a sign that times are perilous. Jeremiah and I have talked a lot about this recently, just concerning the way we sing, the way we pray, and the way we, we preach the Word. In all honesty, brothers and sisters, a non-Christian who comes and sits in here and listens to me preach will not find my preaching very appealing unless the Spirit of God is working on their heart. They're not going to come in here and be entertained, and, and it, it, it won't be appealing. It will be very boring in many ways um, unless the Spirit of God is working. Now, I appreciate the kids. The kids, oftentimes, we don't know whether our kids are Christians or not, so what do we do? We teach them to sit. We teach them to listen. We ask them questions about what the pastor says. We get it. We understand that. But, my, but it's different for those who would come in and not be a Christian if, they're not, if they don't care. If they're just like coming to church week after week because that's what you're supposed to do. Come and sit down. Listen to the preacher. And, and even the way we pray. Our prayers are not going to be very appealing, will they, JB? They're just not. And the way we sing about such gospel truths, the new mercies of God, they're not going to be very appealing to the non-Christian. I recently read a, a shocking article from, from the internet, from uh, Nine Marks up in Capitol Hill, where one of their guys doing some research on gospel, the, just the gospel in general in our churches in America. He spent 18 hours listening to sermons from America's biggest churches. <clears throat> and here is his number one observation. Here's what he says. In 36 sermons, the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection was unclear 36 times. Often, some or all of these facets of the Christian gospel were left out. 
of these sermons. So, no gospel became a common note in such sermons. This means that, our, that an application for us under this, at this particular point, one application is that we preach the whole counsel of God. That we just don't pick up on stories, or we don't just weekly, uh, you, you notice through the, it'll be 14 years that, that we have been here um, in April, that we've always preached through books. Uh, and maybe occasionally take a, a series on uh, something for a short period, but then we always go back to the Word, and, that, and, and I'll, just doing that through Hebrews, I am struggling greatly with Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 right now, but I'm not going to leave it out, and if I can't understand it, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be really honest, I'm not getting this, but here's what is true, but we must do that, and we must deal with doctrine. We must deal with difficult doctrine. One difficulty is coming out that God would actually allow things to happen and then even send them a delusion. That's, we see that over and over in the Scriptures. That is difficult. But when we preach through the whole counsel of God, what do we do? We get all of those things. And we'll get the gospel, of course, but we must not turn away. Another application for us, in order to avoid such perilous times... We must hold on to the gospel. We must hold on. Really, that's what we do as a church. That's what we do at elders. as elders. We are guarding the flock, and the best way we do that is holding on to the gospel. We must not assume. I hope that, I don't think we have assumed the gospel of Christ here at Grace. We must preach the cross of Christ, Christ's substitutionary death, His penal atonement, in other words, Christ became a curse when He died on the cross. He became a curse for us. In our place, He stood. And though He did not sin, and He laid down His life. <laughs> he did not sin at all, but He laid down His life as a perfect sacrifice. And our sins were laid upon Him. And in His death, our sins are put upon Him, and they were judged. And God said, Garrett, if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you are a Christian today, because Christ has died on the cross, your sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. Our sins are thrown, I say it all the time, from the far as the east is from the west, and we have peace with God, and that is because of the personal work of Christ on the cross. And we must always preach the gospel of Christ. And then He, he didn't stay dead. Or otherwise, we couldn't even preach. He rose from the dead, and now where is He? He sits at the right hand of God. And so we must always hold on to those simple truths of the gospel here at Grace. So those were a couple applications. But let's keep moving through this. He's, Owen is giving us three ways that we can judge if this is happening among us. So second way he gives here, and we're still under point number two, guys. Second way Owen gives us to judge if we are in perilous times or not is when professors of Christ, those who profess Christ, lose the power of the truth in their conversations and they, and they are ready to depart with it in their minds. Now, let me explain what he means there. This is the person who confesses the truth. I'm a Christian. They say that. So there's a profession. The person who says that, but... If you talk to that person often, what predominantly comes out of their mouth 
is about the world. And I, I see that as a big one in Christianity today. What, and I, I see that with myself, and I must confess. But this is very convicting to me. I, I'm a Christian, but what comes out of my mouth most of the time? Is it about Christ and His goodness? Is it about the mercies of God? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't talk about the things. And, and it's, it's all different in a different context when you're in a home group and we're out with the world. I understand all of that. But over a period of time, what comes out of, our my, out of our mouths when we are with our friends, with our family, and what's going on? And so what Owen means also is not just what comes out of our mouths. Because the way the Puritans use that word conversation basically didn't just mean what's coming out of your mouth, but how do you live? How do you converse? What is your conversation? There are those who have, according to these verses, a form of godliness, but deny the power of the gospel. So I ask some questions. How are you in your home as a Christian? What does your family say about you? I've, I, I say this often as well. We are what we are in our homes. That's where we really know what we're like. We, we can all act really good when we come to church and we get around people. But what are we like in our homes? If these words this morning convict your heart and you test your profession against such truths and you find that you are not a Christian, then I would say to you, as always, look unto Christ as the one He's there He's died on the cross and look unto Him. Put your faith, receive Him, look unto Him, believe on Him, and you will be saved. We must do that. We must always give this appeal. And you will find, if you come to Christ, you will find that the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit to live will change you and you will live in a different manner. I know we're all at different places. Because the Bible says God's will is your godliness. God's will is your is sanctification. So we're all at different places. Newer Christians are, are a lot of things to work through and move down that road as we go to heaven. Younger folks, older folks, I know we're all at, at different places, but it is true. And even as we come back to Hebrews 4, the Word of God is powerful. It is Christ who, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changes us and we live like Christians. Like when you squeeze an orange, what are you going to get? Orange juice. <laughs> what are ducks going to do? They're going to jump in the lake and they're going to float like ducks do. What do Christians do? We love. We care. We look unto Christ. All of these things we do. We do. Another way we know this this is the last, coming up to the last parts here under point number two. Owen says that when we see professors of Christ depart from the truth in a perilous season, it is great evidence of the withdrawing of the Spirit of God from His church. In other words, when truth decays in a church, and this is for us, when truth decays, or in a society of Christians, it is the greatest evidence of the departing and withdrawing of the Spirit of God. And this is so dangerous. For if the Spirit of God departs, 
what do we have? Our glory and our life also departs. This is why as a church, we do our best as elders and as a church to guard the front door of the church. We guard membership with great effort. We want to make sure that those who come in are actually Christians. And in this way, we guard the sheep. We guard the truth. This is why we are so precise about our confession. This is why we read our covenant together. We did this, uh, I guess, last week, uh, or the first, whatever the first week of January was. Last week, we read our covenant together. So, let me give another couple ways of application under this particular point. Owen says, what must we do that we do not see the Spirit of God depart from us? Owen says first that we must not be content with what we might judge as a sincere profession of the truth, but to labor to be found in the exercise of those graces which represent the truth. In other words, love the truth. Love the Word of God and everything it means for us. Truth will do none of us any good if we do not love it. Truth is always on our side. This also means that we will strive for the power of the truth in our hearts. How do we do this? Well, we follow the example of Christ for one thing. Ephesians 4, 17, the Apostle Paul says, Now this I say and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their hearts. They've become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not how you, Christians, as I speak and I preach to Christians, that is not how you have learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Another application for us is that we hold on to the means that God has given us in the truth. Well, so what are means? So, in other words, if you're going to be sanctified, if you're going to make sure that perilous times do not come to you and to your family and us as a church, then what, what, what do we do? We hold on to the means God has given. What are some means? We could just holler them out. But one is primarily, for sure, the Word of God. That's a means. Prayer. It's a means. And when we don't, when we come together in our home groups, confess our sins one to another means. Talk to one another and say, I have not read as I ought. I have not prayed as I ought. I have not looked unto Christ as I ought. Meet with God's people. That's a means. As you're here today, I hope you're being fed a meal. Means that you can leave and think about. Even if you don't get 99%, you get one thing. Just get one thing that you can take out of here. I hope this is, this is means. This means, even as we look at our, at our covenant, how are we doing fathers in leading our families? Just reading the Word, doing our catechism together, mentioning certain things when we're sitting, we get together at dinner, dinner table, whatever. 
Parents, this means lead your kids in the, in the ways, mothers the same, lead your kids in the ways of the gospel. God has given us so many other means, but those are, those are the primary ones. And of course, coming together, taking the Lord's Supper. So much I could say there, but let's, let's go ahead and move on to the last characteristic. Those are all some applications there, but let's move on to the last characteristic about how we know it's a time is perilous. A season is perilous, number three, when professing Christians mix themselves with the world and learn their ways. Kind of hit this already, and this really follows the first two points, but we see this in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any as they chose. This was a great apostasy which brought great displeasure to God, eventually leading to the the great flood where everything was destroyed. In the history of Israel, we see this happen over and over again. And over again. Psalm 106 verse 35 says, But they mixed with the nations and they learned to do as those nations did. They served their idols which became a snare to them. I think we've seen this throughout, the again, the first two truths. But when professing Christians mix with the world in their thoughts and in their ways, brothers and sisters, these are perilous times. Not, again, not a coronavirus. These are our perilous times. John says to us, do not love what? Who? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now I'm not going to say too much more here about what this looks like. If God wills, there will be more time. But I do want to point out the danger for us of mixing with the world. Owen says this, he says that when we mix and think and act like the world, we're doing the very opposite of what Christ came to do. Think about that. Let me say that again. When we mix with the world, we're doing the very opposite of what Christ came to do. And we cannot serve two masters, can we? And what did Christ come to do? Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us. Why? That He might purge us from dead works and purify us unto a people peculiar for Himself. We are called, as Christians this morning, a peculiar people, a royal nation. The Bible says that we are the the first fruits, that first tomato that comes out of the garden. That's the one you want to get. That's the best one. The Bible pictures us, and it's a greater picture than that, pictures us as that first fruit. We represent all of the good things of God in that way. This means we are God's special people in this world. And you know how people know that? It's because of the way we live. Particularly the way we are different from a sinful world. How hard is it now, brothers and sisters, to stand up with everything that is going on? I mean... Greg, you sent me that email about preaching possibly next week where I think uh, uh, a pastor out in California, John MacArthur, has asked for churches to preach on the, the sanctity of, or the design of men and women. 
in the Bible because there's so much. There's apparently a law that was passed in Canada um, that, um, is, that makes it illegal to have conversion therapy. So if you are trying to convince someone who says, I'm a woman and they're biologically born a man, you can't do that. It's against the law. It's coming, it has come in a, in a couple countries. It's come at least in one state in Australia for sure. Um, and so you can imagine the persecution that will come because it'll be the Christians that will not stand up for that because we cannot. But can you imagine even now just thinking about things in general in this world? It is hard to say no when you go out into your workplaces and you hear that we've got to do it this way and you think, oh, that really... That, that don't strike me as the best way, according to God's Word. And so we have, to, we have to navigate these things as we go to our workplaces. And we have to make the right decisions. And I pray that, you know, that's why the, the Apostle, prays that, Apostle Paul prays that we will have, pray that we'll just be able to live peaceable and humble and reverent lives in this world. That's what we are after. But I know that it's difficult. But when we move over... And then as Christians say, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good law. Because, of course, God made us, not in this way, but we're, God made us to be whoever we, we want to be. I mean, we can't say that. We just couldn't do that. There's, there, that's just one example. But <clears throat> I know it's difficult, and we must not still mix with the world. So I would ask a couple questions. Christian fathers... I'll just say to you, you are different in the way you raise your kids than the way the world raises their kids. Mothers, you're different. You, 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 you nurture and you care and you love your families because you're Christians, and that's what God does. Grandparents, you are different in the ways that you... I know that there are some grandparents that have unbelieving kids and even unbelieving grandchildren, but you're different. I, I forget exactly where it was, but wasn't Paul, was it Titus, or I, don't, I forgot who it was who basically said, your, your mom and your grandmother led you in the way of the scriptures, and that was a good thing. So that, that, that person became a Christian because of their mother and their, and their grandmother. Children, are you different than the other children that are around you as obedient children, and kind to your siblings, and, and and, and helpful to your parents and in all these ways. Are you different? And then, as we continue on here, Owen points out a very grave consequence. If we will not be different from the world in our ways, then we will not, we will not be different in our privileges either. Let me say that again. If we will not be different from the world in our ways, we will not be different in our privileges either because think about it this means that when a professing christian thinks and acts like the world then what will be the reward the reward will be what the world says and what is happening in the world it is passing away so if we are in a mix with the world and do what the world does then our reward will be what the world gives us but if we do not mix with the world and we stand for that which is true and we look unto Christ, and we profess the God of the universe, then what will be our privileges? <laughs> wow, His mercies are new every morning. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We are now His children. I mean, we have people around us, Christians, who love one another. We take care of one another. 
We have the truth that we can read every day. We can meet together as Christians. We can take the Lord's Supper. We're going down the road in the midst of, as we saw last week, we're not resting many ways. We're resting in Christ because our sins are forgiven, but we're not resting because this, everything that's going on around us with sickness and death and heartache, on and on we go. We will not rest until we get to heaven. But that is a privilege, and that will come for being one of God's children. And so this means that we must press on and not mix with the world. Brothers and sisters, our privileges as Christians cannot compare to the privileges of this world. The world lives for what it can see, what it can touch, what it can feel right now. The world lives for food and drink and substances. The world lives for the power of men, places of prominence at a great banquet, political power. The world lives for, for health and wealth and prosperity. The world lives for the next pleasure, but it is not so for the Christian. Our ultimate privileges are not of this world. They are not made by human hands. Still, the best things in life are free, of course. As James says, our gifts come down from the Father of lights. So our privileges, brothers and sisters, are not of this world. They come down to us through the person of Christ. So as we look to Christ, in whom all of the riches and wisdom are found of God, they all come down to us. And all of God's blessings come to us. And we are seated with Him in the heavenly places. We have a great high priest who sits at the right hand of God and our sins are forgiven. Our our inheritance is all that God owns. There's a lot more to believe it or not. If you were back in the day with Owen and you were listening to that sermon, we'd be here for another couple hours. So I took that sermon and made that into about 40 minutes, okay? Let me finish with just four very brief applications. May we benefit, may we be exhorted by these words to do all that we can to get our hearts affected with the perils of the day in which we live. In other words, may we, may the things that go on around us affect our hearts that causes us to love Christ even more and to be about action in this world. Owen says this, it's not time to be asleep on the top of a mast in a rough sea when there are so many devouring dangers around us. Therefore, look around and pray that our hearts will be affected by those things that are going on around us. And look into the Word of God and find out what He has to say. Pray God would give us grace to be sensible to all the things that are going on around us, that God would give us great wisdom. Application 2. And I've already mentioned this, but I'll mention it again. Remember, there is a special frame of spirit required of us as believers in the gospel during perilous times. And what is that, what is that spirit of that frame we should be in? What should we do? We should have a spirit of mourning for those, those evils around us. Pray that God would give us 
ears to, to hear and eyes to see. Application three, be watchful. Be watchful. Jesus said, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. Those of us who, there's some eight guys that are, seven, eight guys that are meeting with me monthly. Our book this month is on watchfulness. If anybody's interested in getting that book, watchfulness and what it means, please see me. I'll get you a copy. But that's our application. Be watchful. As Christians, we should have no greater jealousy upon our hearts than that God should withdraw himself because of the sins of the people and then leave us. If we're not watchful, that's what will happen. Brothers and sisters, the seven churches of Revelation came and they went as physical churches. Churches come and go. They do. Grace Baptist, if, if he gives us time and time and time, Grace Baptist also will come and go. It could be very brief. It could last for many years. And it's, if it lasts many years according to the spirit of the truth of the word, it will be because we hold on to the gospel and God's grace and his kindness and his goodness are towards us. But be watchful. And may these words today help us be watchful. Finally, <clears throat> be careful lest you yourself fall. I, I think of the old King James that says, when I, the way I memorized this verse, therefore <clears throat> take heed Lest anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he should fall. So I pray that, that these words will be helpful to us this, this morning and this week as we go out. That there is something more, more perilous than a virus. So may God bless us today and as we go out. I hope this was helpful today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words today. Thank you for these words, even from the sermon of John Owen, oh, 400 years ago. Father, we, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. pray that we would think seriously about our own souls, that we would look unto Christ, that we would just today be a little bit more godly, a little bit more sanctified as we go down the road to heaven. I pray that if someone is here is not a Christian, I pray that today they would look unto Christ and be saved. I pray that you would encourage us. May Christ be certainly more beautiful to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.